From beach towels to tea towels, and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Dean Mackin. Dean Mackin. This is the Dean Mackin Show on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. And g'day. Hope you're having a terrific day wherever it is that you happen to be. Chris Smith, thank you. We do appreciate you. He'll be back Tomorrow uh, and this afternoon or this morning, depending on where you may be, some fantastic guests. A couple of things. Um, I'm going to be talking to Ross Cameron, and we're going to talk about the thing that I was originally going to open up with. I can't believe, I mean, they're really going after Donald Trump with everything they have. They are throwing the kitchen sink at him and then some. It's all total rubbish. It's all total BS. And to say it's a stretch to go and say that he was part of a team you know, who broke the, you know, January 6th, that he apparently, he, he himself was part of an insurrection. Have you seen the video? I'm sure most of you have seen the video. These guys being escorted through the building by police, very little violence. The only violence, the only death that I am aware of came from the people in there who worked for the government, uh, a female ex-military officer, or uh, certainly someone who served in the military. She was shot and killed, and she posed no threat. She had no weapon. She was solely trying to push through a door. Unbelievable that they would consider Donald Trump. And Donald Trump is on record telling people to take it easy. I mean, we all saw the video. So how they intend to push this is beyond me. He's going to appeal it. He's got until January 4 to do that. And only two days, almost an anniversary, if you would, uh, of that which they accuse him of breaking the 14th Amendment for. They are on a witch hunt. He's got a lot of money. And if he didn't have a bunch of money, I dare say this wouldn't go nearly as well as I hope and expect that it will for Donald Trump. But why should he have to jump all of these hurdles? Distraction after distraction after distraction. Now, (laughs) I keep talking about old mate Fetterman. Fetterman, the guy who beat, who beat cardiothoracic surgeon Mehmet Oz in America in an election. And it is beyond me how he did. He couldn't talk. He'd recently had a stroke. But, but, and I'm in shock. I don't know if you've seen a recent video. And tomorrow I'll get you the video clip and I'll play it for those of you watching. But there he is, John Fetterman, and he is far more coherent. He can string sentences together. And not only that, He's advocating for things that you and I might advocate for. Can you believe this? Like if, let's say, a company is bought out by an overseas interest. He doesn't think that's good for America. Yep, he's woken up. I don't know, maybe they've got some stem cell therapy going on. Uh, Young Mr. Fetterman, and he is quite young, covered in tattoos. They changed the dress code just so he could rock up in shorts and a T-shirt. And he probably couldn't spell T-shirt before. But I don't know. It's an amazing recovery. And I don't think he was overly bright to begin with. I've seen videos of him far before he had his stroke. But now he's looking top notch. I don't know. Maybe he did a, maybe he did an Imran Khan who, as I spoke of yesterday, used AI. He can't speak to his followers, his supporters. So he leaked the speech, a written speech, and they got an AI thing to, to recreate his face, his voice. And they played that. So it does look like Imran Khan is delivering the speech in person. Maybe they've done that. Maybe they've corrected John Fetterman. Maybe they can fix Joe Biden. 
Who knows? It'll be very, very interesting to watch one might imagine what they can do with AI in the future. But I mean, certainly how they can uh, trick us might be one of those things as well. Brittany Higgins, I know I'm sick of her too. I'm absolutely sick of her. She wasn't anywhere near high profile enough to deserve this much attention, but it is all political. They are using it for their own gain. But this uh, horror show goes on. She got $2.44 million in compensation, the quickest approved payout I've ever seen in my life coming from the government. How many of you people have ever had to get some compensation from the government? How many years did that drag on? Well, she got that was her birthday present. On her 28th birthday, she got $2.44 million. Now, after they took out taxes, after uh, she paid the uh, ambulance chases, uh, sorry, and the lawyers, I meant and the lawyers, yeah, um, she got $1.9 million after all of that. And uh, she's already bought a house in the south of France for 600000 I'm guessing that is Australian dollars. So she's got a, a fair bit of money left. But when you're being sued by your former boss, Linda Reynolds, and Linda might want some of that money if she is successful, she doesn't want you uh, scampering off to the south of France to, uh, you know, sort of wander around the wine fields and, and you know, do what you do over there with uh, her boyfriend or fiancé, I should say, Mr Shiraz. Um, but yeah, so they're going to hopefully, maybe, and I'm I'm quite happy to advocate for Linda Reynolds in this particular case and have her um, her assets frozen because if that is a successful case, she will need money, uh, access to that money. And who knows? She may be. There's lots. There are lots of defamation cases uh, that all surround this whole this whole case. It is ridiculous. I know you're sick of it, but it is like one of those soapies. And I know we've got Gemma Cooper coming up, someone who loved, absolutely loved um, some of our Australian dramas, maybe dramas a bit like Foster's Beer that we weren't that fond of here. But this is certainly an Aussie drama and one that may indeed capture the attention of the world. It's certainly newsworthy and certainly a lot going on. It is bananas, but it is the world that we live in. It is all political and it is the crap that we have to deal with almost on a day-to-day -day basis. Thank you to the mainstream media for that. Oh, lamestream, I should say. Now, for a complete list of shows and our schedule offered here at TNT Radio, simply visit the tntradio.live website. We serve up the latest live news and current affairs hosted by a host of uh, credible and expert commentators who can separate facts from fiction, truth from propaganda. We're right here at TNT Radio. Keeping the commitment 24-7. I've been in the car all day and I got to listen. Can't get enough of it. You guys are doing a great job. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. She's on the mend. She's looking a wee bit better. I probably picked that up from my, my nana from Paisley, that wee bit. I do like to use that word from time to time. And this woman is absolutely wonderful. And I get to have a chat with her every single day here at TNT uh, Radio during the week, that is. Uh, Gemma Cooper, hey. Hello, it's a Christmas miracle, Dean. I am on the mend. I've turned a corner. <laughs> it was our group and prayers that did it. That's what it was. Oh, well, whatever it was, it's worked. You know, it's a classic uh, winter cold, you know, three days to incubate and three days to come out. And then that, you can kind of still hear it in my voice. But, you know, I was just talking to James Freeman yesterday on the Freeman Report here on TNT Radio about my condition. But, you know, when we alluded to this yesterday as well, but like, do you remember like three years ago, if you'd had a cold, that would have been it, you know, and you would have been, had the fear yeah. of God put into you by the mainstream media for having a sniffle. So not only would you be feeling a bit under the weather, but you turn on the television, you know, the tell lie 
perfect vision and it would be basically telling you you were going to die and you were a threat to everyone around you. Whereas if you just let your body do its natural thing and hadn't frightened yourself almost to death, you would have just got better. But, you know, you wonder how much the psychological and um, behavioral insight units here, certainly in the UK, and I'm sure other governments around the world were employing similar tactics, you know, made people much, much sicker than they would have just been if they just let their body do what it wanted, did what their grannies told them, rest in fluids, and just got better. The psychological impact of what we had to go through three, three, three and a half years ago, um, and how ill, iller and sicker that made people, and probably killed people. Just that project fear, just that on its own. Well, Jen, don't forget some of the protocols that they were pushing on people and getting paid for, you know, by the government in some countries, uh, including things like remdesivir. Well, it's not even over. I read something... Uh, just yesterday, and I'll talk to Craig Kelly about it later this week, where the government is still at it, suggesting, and this is the best part in the, the protocol, that if somebody is to come into hospital uh, and they are unvaccinated, and it did specify unvaccinated, that remdesivir could actually be what they need. I mean, this is unbelievable. I'll get Craig Kelly to talk about it a little bit later this week. But I mean, not just saying, oh, here's this wonderful substance with a, you know, a, a sub 50% survival rate. Or, you know, they would suggest that everyone's going to die and it saves 48%, whatever. You know, the point being, here they are. If it's so wonderful, why would you not advocate it for everybody? No, only the unvaccinated need to get that. And, of course, when they start dropping like flies, when they have remdesivir, they'll say that's because you didn't get vaccinated, not because you and only you were on a protocol that was involving or using remdesivir. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Luckily, no one who's had the common sense to not have something stuck in them over the last few years will we'll go anywhere near a hospital now, I think. I think yeah. people have woken up to the fact that it's the last place you want to venture to if you are sick, especially in the UK here. The waiting lists are at record highs and the NHS is really not fit for purpose. You can't even get in to see your local doctor at the moment. But, you know, I don't think health, the health service is all it's cracked up to be. There are some brilliant people in there. But like you say, the protocols they're employing are far from uh, far from a health and well-being, aren't they? Far from it. Exactly. The inverted opposite, in fact. It's interesting, though, hearing you talk about uh, politics and the theatre of politics uh, this morning, because there's a story that I'm bringing to the table that exactly mirrors what you're saying about how it's all a kind of kind of theatre and a kind of game. And the mainstream pushes this on us. We have had uh, the announcement in the last 48 hours that there will be a general election here in the UK next year. Rishi, um, Rishi Sunak did say that a few days ago at a drinks reception. That's not unexpected. We, we are expecting an election next year. He hasn't given us the date yet, but unsurprisingly, kind of um, underground lobbying has now kind of started because our mainstream media here in the UK, I'm sure it's the same way you are, depending on the type of newspaper or media outlet, everybody's got their own particular bias. So uh, in one of the papers this morning, it has emerged that uh, Sir Keir Starmer, who used to be a QC, a barrister, before he entered the world of politics, um, he helped free some of Britain's most dangerous prisoners while he was a, a barrister. Um, these prisoners were let out on a technicality and went on to uh, go, go back and terrorise previous victims. Uh, one case study was a guy called Paul Stilato. He was sentenced for 10 years for an arson attack on his ex-girlfriend's parents' house, a really, really severe arson attack. They only just escaped with their lives. They were absolutely terrified. Uh, he got 10 years for that, but he was freed unconditionally after Sakir Starmer uh, got him off on a technicality under the 2003 Criminal Justice Act. Now, now he went on then to re-terrorize this family who was so um, 
frightened of this guy. They ended up moving to Spain. He tried to firebomb the house after he was released. He put petrol through the letterbox. He continued to harass. He continued to stalk. They eventually moved to Spain. He tracked them down there. They had to live apart for years so that he couldn't, if he found one, he wasn't finding all the others and he wasn't finding his ex-partner, who I'm sure he would have gone on to murder. That's the inference here. Um, but he got he got this guy off. And after he got this guy off and this guy got three thirty thousand pounds in compensation, whereas the poor family only got five hundred wow. for the terror inflicted on them. I know um, after that, 15 other prisoners also got off on this technicality uh, and they were described by the penal system, by the Home Office as some of the most dangerous prisoners in the system in the UK. Now our prisons are so full that, that, that they don't know what to do at the moment. So you're thinking if they're some of the most dangerous prisoners in the UK, then we are talking serious people. One who was released under this technicality, technicality excuse me, was a Satanist from Bristol. That's my neck of the woods, the West Country. He ran a gang of children who he, he got addicted to heroin and cocaine from a very young age. Some of these poor little kids who came from care homes were as young as nine. He then got them into a gang and forced them to rob and steal. And he kept them in line with beating, sexual abuse and endless lectures on Satanism and demonology. So what a lovely guy he was. He got let out. Um, he, he had been jailed for 14 years, but he was let out two years early. Another guy that got out on this technicality was a rapist called Stan, who was uh, left to roam unsupervised after his early release in 2007. This is all because of the precedent set by Sir Keir Starmer with his original case. Um, the, the rapist actually gave an interview to the prison magazine called Inside Prison, and he said, the system is rotten to the core. This is ridiculous. Even I know that I pose a risk to the public, and they let me out. Now, it just goes to show we talk about politicians quite a lot and they're kind of like are they human in the way that we would like to think that they're human with compassion and empathy and, and regard for their fellow people especially the people underneath them the 99 percent of us who they're supposed to look after you know we kind of hope that they're like that but everything they do especially over the last few years has proven they have got their own interests at heart no one else's and I think this story does illustrate that. Now, I'm very aware we're, we're entering the period of a general election and that stories will come out about Rishi Sunak and Starmer as the kind of battle commences. We're not in official election time yet, but we're, we are, we kind of are because, you know, it's been announced. So I'm aware that the, the, some of the outlets that are running this story this morning are quite partisan, but the facts are the facts. This did happen. And I've been in many courtrooms in my career as a mainstream media journalist. And courtrooms are kind of mini debating chambers. They're a lot like the House of Commons or the House of Lords. You know, you've got the different uh, QCs and barristers on either side. They, they want to win. And it's a debate. And who can be the cleverest with the words? Who can use the most technicalities with the law? And, and then they get their clients off. And I think the most stark reminder of this is that Sakir Starmer was the head of the Crown Prosecution Service in 2009 when they were trying to get a case against Jimmy Savile and, 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 they, and it was dropped, completely dropped, while he was in charge of the Crown Prosecution Service. Now, if, if ever there was enough evidence to, to prosecute someone, it was Jimmy Savile, you know, one of the most notorious and sinister paedophiles ever with links to the royal family and government. Um, the defense in that instance was, oh, he was only the head of the Crown Prosecution Service, Sir Keir Starmer. He wasn't the lawyer reviewing the case. You would think with someone as high profile as Jimmy Savile that the boss of that institution would want to have a look at that case. Um, and we all know what happened then. So I think it's an indication of his previous career, how he acted with no regard for the victim's families, no regard for victim impact statements, shows that even before he entered the realm of politics, it's all about the ego. It's all about winning. It's all about them.
And it's not about us, the people. So that's a story doing the rounds here in the UK, which I think ties in with what you just said about politics as a whole. Well, Gemma, it does tie in with us in that I think that the people that they have worked in the politics are doing exactly what they're there to do, which is attack us to uh, bring in threats to the country. I mean, we talk about people such as Jimmy Savile. I remember Johnny Rotten got interviewed 30 years, almost three decades before and warned about him. I mean, and there that got ignored. He got banned from the BBC. They weren't going to put him on. They weren't going to play his music for a bunch of years. And, um, you know, again, it's a big cover up going back decades. And as for us being in lockstep and all these creeps that are being released back out into the public that should have never been released and should be uh, behind bars, we have exactly that happening right here, right now. And uh, of a bunch who were let out into the public, or have reoffended within a couple of months. It is, and horrific offences as well. So again, we're in lockstep. The people that we look for uh, or to for our solutions are those solely creating the bulk of our problems. And until we start making better solutions or choices at the ballot box, I don't think anything's going to get any better. When did the people wake up and how did we as a population as a whole get this stupid? I have no idea. But uh, Gemma Cooper, I appreciate you coming on. Of course, you'll be joining us again next hour here at TNT Radio. Coming up, the Aussie Kozak, a.k.a. Simeon Boykov, after this. Jeremy now on TNT Radio. Being South African, I'm, I know the situation and it's incredibly dire. Basically, our farmers, mostly white, have been under attack for years and years and years. And when I say attack, I mean that physically, don't I? Yes. Um, since the dawn of democracy in South Africa, since 1994, we had an average of uh, one farm attack every second day. Um, so it averages around uh, 175 to 190 farm attacks every year. And we had a farm murder on average every fifth day. Um, but over the last few months, both those numbers have picked up. Murders in other sectors of society are not accompanied by the same levels of brutality and torture as you will find in farm murders. Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk TNT Radio. A year ago, I couldn't afford the rent anymore. I had no support and I was out of options. I had to sleep wherever I could. I thought, am I going to be out here on Christmas Day? Your urgent donation of £29.73 could help make this Christmas the first day of someone's life beyond homelessness. I'm so glad crisis was there. I could finally get warm. I had someone in my corner. I got something for you. This Christmas, I'm here. Home. Because my first day at crisis was my last day on the streets. This Christmas, thousands more people across the UK will be facing homelessness. We urgently need your donation. Search Crisis at Christmas or scan the QR code to give £29.73 now. Unbiased information. Honest and forthright. News without the misinformation. It doesn't matter what side you're from. What matters is what you say, the truthfulness behind it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And welcome back to the program. Now, I know the Aussie Kozak and I 
usually we kind of delve off sometimes. We normally talk about uh, issues here in Australia, but we occasionally like to talk about things uh, that affect Russia. And of course, why wouldn't he? And I'm a big supporter of theirs against the Ukraine. That's for sure. Now, Vladimir Putin, he's hinted at the return of Western Ukrainian border regions that were once annexed by Stalin from Poland, Hungary and Romania. And for more on that story, we're going to go to the Aussie Cossack himself. Simeon Boykov, g'day. It's a brilliant, brilliant grand master 5D chess move, I believe, by Vladimir Putin. What he's done is he has offered the European powers land which, once upon a time, Joseph Stalin, the Soviet leader, took from them and gave to Ukraine. And you know how Ukraine goes on about, oh, we're not with the Russians. We don't want anything to do with Russia. They destroy Russian memorials, Russian monuments. They take down old symbols. As we all know, Ukraine was always a part of Russia. There was no mention of Ukraine in the history books ever, except for 1917 to 1922 when there was anarchy there. And uh, in, that, in that regard, they need to accept if they don't want to be with Russia, they want to think Russian. Well, those lands with, with, with which Russia, in this case, Joseph Stalin, the leader of the Soviet Union gave to Ukraine, the Western regions of Ukraine, or give them back, give them back to Poland, give them back to Romania, give them back to Hungary and Slovakia. Now, there is a very, should I say Slovenia, there's a very, very good historical grounds for this. Those border regions, let's take Bukovina, for example. This is an area between the middle of the Dniester River and the main range of the Carpathian Mountains. It's uh, the border between Ukraine and Romania, the present day. But back in the days, this area was part of, at one stage, Romania. At another stage, it was part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Uh, at one stage, it belonged to the Principality of Galicia, then to Moldova. There was Polish and Hungarian influences in the 14th and 15th century. And up until 1940, uh, it all belonged to Romania. Uh, the ethnic makeup is very interesting also that the, ethnically there are a lot of Moldovans, Rom uh, Romanians, uh, there's even ethnic Germans that live there. And this whole area of Western Ukraine, because it was like this no man's land for so many years between historically uh, the Europe, the Russian Empire, there's, all, there's a lot of ethnic diversity there. Now, the West loves to talk about indigenous populations and the right to self-determination. It's something we often hear them say. Well, how about this? If you want to talk about that and virtue signal about giving a voice to the local indigenous, Vladimir Putin has struck an excellent chord. He said, well, these regions where ethnic Poles live, for example, Galicia and the Volyn region bordering with uh, Ukraine and Poland, give it back to the Poles. Ukraine never earned that land. That wasn't part of Ukraine. They got it thanks to Russia and Stalin fighting wars and taking over that land. So Vladimir Putin has said, if the Europeans... If Hungary, if Romania, if Poland, if uh, Slovenia want to intervene and take those lands back, Russia will not interfere. Vladimir Putin has said just uh, 12 hours ago, he said, and this has gone absolutely viral on Twitter. Uh, I put a post up about 12 hours ago on Aussie Contact. It's almost at a million views. Uh, have a look at that on Twitter and uh, sign up to TNT Radio, Twitter, while there, and Aussie Contact Twitter. This is an amazing story that is going bonkers, going viral, because it appeals to the nationalism, the nationalistic sentiment of those European states. The Polish have always had their eye on the Wolf. They've always had their eye on those Western Ukrainian regions. And Russia has now withdrawn any claims to those regions and said, well, you want them, you take them. What a brilliant move. This could be 
the path to the end of the war. This could be the way the war finishes. This could be the way negotiations actually take place where Europe is given something in exchange for Russia having then recognised claims to those territories which it now controls in the east. And some are in the middle, whatever. There can be a little Ukraine because we need Ukraine to survive. I'll tell you why. Because it's got trillions of dollars in debt. We need yeah. someone to inherit that debt. Russia doesn't want to take over Ukraine. We'll leave Ukraine. But we'll leave a small Ukraine in the middle. Those lands which were always Ukrainian, let them be Ukrainian if you can find them on a map. But the lands in the West, uh, the Hungarians, they're, they're adamant. They really want their lands back. i tell you why. Because the ethnic Hungarians are getting mobilized, the ones that live in Ukrainian territory now. They're getting forcibly mobilized, sent to the Ukrainian military to die. And people in Hungary, and the Hungarian uh, Prime Minister Viktor Orban, he's very upset about this. Same with the Romanians. They're saying, why should you mobilize our ethnic nationalities? It's not their, It's not those people's fault that they woke up one day and they're living in Ukraine. It's the fault of uh, history and huge geopolitical changes that took place last century. And big people like Stalin, Roosevelt, Churchill, Hitler, these type of characters, Molotov, Ribbentrop, all through the 20s, 30s and 40s, making deals, winning and losing wars, territory being ceded either way, either side. And it's not the ethnic locals' fault. So Putin, brilliant move, is saying, take back what's yours, Europe. And the question is, will Europe take the bait? Because if they do, that will be discord in NATO. That will be, then NATO will freak out. America will say, how can you do that? And the Poles will say, no, Poland first, that's our land. And they'll high-five Putin. The Hungarians will love it. The Carpathian Mountains, it's a beautiful part of the world, all those areas. But people there don't want to be with Ukraine. It's, the, it's, it's so close to the West. It is close to the West because it always was the West. Ukraine often talks about, we need to join the EU, we need to join NATO. Well, guess what? Those couple of Western regions might just join the EU, but not as part of Ukraine, but as part of those countries. I've been to the, those areas. I've been to the Western parts of Ukraine many times. For example, Chernovtsi, Bukovina. It's a beautiful part of the world, beautiful people, beautiful food, beautiful culture. You go to church there, and amazingly, they're praying in Romanian. We're in Ukraine, right? Western yeah. Ukraine. I'm standing in church. The priests are praying in Romanian. The choir is singing in Romanian. There's Romanians, there's Moldovans. Everyone's friendly. And everyone, by the way, is friendly towards Russia. They're all friendly to Russia. Uh, those areas, you've got Romanian street names. You've got beautiful architecture. Wasn't built by the Russians. Wasn't built by the Ukrainians. Built by the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Built by the Germans. Built by the Romanians. Built by the... Uh, other countries, the European countries who had that land. So the key word in Putin's speech uh, this morning, early this morning, was that Russia was the guarantee for territorial sovereignty. Russia was. Russia used to guarantee that no one would take those lands from Ukraine. And by saying was, by saying we no longer care, if you want it, take it. Yeah. You can take it. Vladimir Putin is giving the card blanche and he's saying, you want to take over, you want to annex, and you know, when we mean annex, then what we'll see most likely is a referendum type annexation with the locals in those regions, Polish troops cross the border, Romanian troops cross the border, Hungarian troops, cross the border. who's going to stop them? The local population say, we don't want to be with Ukraine. We don't want to be with Zelensky. So this is where the conflict gets very, very interesting. And Simeon, and I've, I've got to say, mate, it is, he's always about 10 steps ahead. It's not just generous, it's in 
incredibly smart. It's a great way to get the people on site. And what a wonderful Christmas present that is for a bunch of countries in Eastern Europe. Mate, I love the way the guy thinks. And uh, Vladimir Zelensky wouldn't be a big uh, fan of this particular move, that is to be sure. Mate, I've run out of time. I do have to get to the news headlines. But as always, thank you for bringing us this breaking information. It is absolutely massive. And as Simeon advocates, uh, get onto Twitter, uh, give his page uh, uh, a like and also give the TNT page uh, a thumbs up as well, as we would hope you would do. Simeon, we'll chat tomorrow and I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, Dean. Everybody, coming up after the break, we're going to be talking about something uh, quick that we spoke about yesterday with uh, Dr. Billy Bay. He was advocating that APRA has completely cancelled their gag orders. Maybe not. We'll find out after this when we talk to Dr. Andrew McIntyre here at TNT Radio. Now, TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. The Colorado Supreme Court has disqualified Donald Trump from running for president in the state, preventing the 5.8 million people who live there from voting for him. Analysts are now saying Australia rejected Washington's request to help protect commercial ships from attacks in the Red Sea due to a significant shortfall in the nation's naval capabilities. And Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky says the nation's army is asking for an extra half a million people to join its war against Russia. On air and on the app. I listen on the app. Stay up to date around the clock. I listen, therefore I know. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And welcome back to the program. My next guest, Dr. Andrew Maguire, is a gastroenterologist of uh, in Queensland on the Sunshine Coast. I'm very jealous. I would love to move up there. Uh, he's the coordinator of the Doctors Against uh, Mandates Legal Action team. He graduated and gained his qualifications in 1990 at the Queensland University and he opened his doors to Buddharim uh, in 1997 and he's held the reins at this practice uh, for all that time since. That's about 16 years now. We're going to be talking about APRA and their gag orders and what it means and what they may have done in place of those. Dr Andrew McIntyre, thank you for joining us. Yeah, hi. Thank you for the invitation. Mate, always an absolute pleasure. Uh, we spoke to Dr. William Bay yesterday. He seemed very excited about the dropping of some of these gag orders. But as is always the case, never uh, get too excited when you hear good news because they normally is some bad news to counter it. Is that the case? Well, we don't really know. They've, they've dropped the advisory that doctors couldn't express their opinion or any opinion that went against the government opinion on in anything to do with COVID. So they've removed that gag order. However, the Queensland Parliament last year passed legislation that basically said that we're judged on showing respect for public health rather than respect for the patient. And with this new national law, whatever that is, um, basically all the other states adopt it. So potentially that actually legalises the gag order to say that whatever public health says is right, which, um, you know, consensus science is uh, rarely right. <laughs> consensus science is a joke. And um, so, so really, it probably needs to be tested. It will need to be tested as to what it actually means. I, I, I mean, I, I don't think anyone should have taken any notice of the gag order anyway. I certainly didn't. And... Um, you know, the the whole idea that uh, you can't advise your patients what you think when they're asking you what do you think 
is quite ridiculous. I mean, um, I guess as a gastroenterologist, I wasn't the first port of call for people asking for advice, but I certainly had long-term patients um, ask me what I thought and um, I told them that I didn't think they should have it. They didn't need it. Um, I mean, many of them went and got it. I mean, people um, don't necessarily believe you, <coughs> you know, Many do, but some don't. Um, and the whole idea that we cower in fear at regulators telling us that you must speak consensus science is it's completely antithetical to all of our principles, basically. And, I mean, it, it basically has been determined that it's against the code of conduct anyway. There, there's questions about the legality of that gag order in any case. They certainly applied it and deregistered people um, for some reason that didn't include me i don't really understand why not but um it's so I, I i mean i couldn't work because of vaccine mandates for 11 months but um touch wood i haven't been deregistered so I'm, I'm back working in a sort of more limited way but um part of that's due to the degradation of private health really that's that's happened as a result of all this i think so it's, um, I mean, it's bureaucratic interference in medicine. And um, I remember the Challenger disaster and in the US where they actually had Richard Feynman, the famous physicist, was on the board to examine that. And basically he was saying the administrators were telling them to ignore the laws of physics. Wow. And, you know, that, that was the reason for the disaster was the administrators overrode the concerns expressed by the engineers and the bureaucrats are overriding the concerns expressed by many senior members of the medical profession and possibly a worldwide challenge disaster is um, going to be the result. We, you know, it's early days, so... Um, you, you can't have bureaucrats dictating the way people think. It's it's nonsensical and consensus science is nonsensical. I think Richard Feynman was the person who said that science is the belief in the ignorance of experts. And that's pretty true. You know, what, what was dogma 10 years ago is now rubbish. Um, things evolve. So that's the way it should be. It's a shame that we don't learn from our mistakes. I would uh, imagine that the Challenger disaster would have been about, what, 1986. Uh, yeah. For, yeah, my first day of year 12, I, I remember it well. Uh, mate, and we don't learn. You use the word fear and the fact that people would ask you, a doctor, for their opinion, then override that opinion just based on what the uh, media was putting out there, that fear porn, mm. if you will, was horrific. Something that you also said during that, and it, it caught my ear, was, uh, you know, public health rather than uh, the patient. I mean, you, one would think that the two are the same thing, but obviously when worded like that, it would mean the public health uh, mantra or the, uh, the, the narrative that they're peddling rather than the particular patient and what may be good for them. Yeah, well, they don't have a good record. If you look back um, at, at really any disease, you know, a thousand percent increase in diabetes, um, enormous heart problems. And when you, a lot of that, I guess I was, uh, had a baptism in all of this with low carb medicine and the case of Tim Noakes in um, 
South Africa, who was threatened with deregistration for advising low-carb diets. I mean, the difference with that was that he actually got to go to trial and prove that what he was advising was good science and safe, whereas in Australia, uh, the people who've been deregistered have had no opportunity to prove what they're saying is right. And there was another case in Australia, an orthopaedic surgeon from Tasmania, Gary Fetke, who was cautioned for advising patients, diabetic patients, to go on a low-carb diet. And one of the accusations that he was accused of was inappropriately reversing somebody's diabetes. So, I mean, which is just ridiculous. He got sick of cutting off people's feet and suggested they improve their health and reverse their diabetes. And the complaint was that it inappropriately reversed their diabetes. So I guess I started the pandemic with a low level of confidence in public health and things like the dietary guidelines that were introduced around 1980 have resulted in huge spikes of chronic disease. So public health does not have a good record. I mean, clean water and sanitation was did wonders, but since then they've been stuffing up big time and um, that's the truth. So um, I started out the pandemic not having confidence in public health and I have far less confidence uh, today. I mean, I actually made an APRA complaint against the chief medical officer for claiming that many trials had been done on ivermectin and not a single one showed a positive result. I mean, at that point, I'd been on Zoom calls with Tess Laurie in the UK who'd just done a meta-analysis showing amazing effects, and there were 20 positive trials. So they're on the ABC, on national press conference uh, conferences, um, basically telling, well, they're either lies or they're incompetence. They're basically saying many trials have been done, not a single one shows a result, and that was just blatantly untrue. Yeah. So... Um, so I guess to be told that your what you say has to be guided by public health does not go down very well with me. I mean, um, I guess you learn your lesson. You need to look at these things. And the gap between public health and pharmaceutical companies appears to be almost non-existent these days. So that's that's part of the problem. It does. So, Some of the things you've said are total eye-openers. I just wanted to clarify something. When you said a 1,000% rise in diabetes, are we talking over the last three years or the last couple of decades? Since 1960. Okay, because we, we're more than aware of that, obviously. Uh, I myself fell victim to diabetes. It was rather chronic. I had peripheral neuropathy, and I had somebody advocate for me to eat very healthy, to, to fast, a, a very healthy fasting diet, which was absolutely, as your friend said, a lot less carbs. I no longer have diabetes. I no longer have peripheral neuropathy. That was 10 years ago. I rocked up to my doctor and he took my blood sugar. Couldn't believe it. And I mm. told him, and I always wondered, would he advocate and tell his next patient rather than say, there's no cure for peripheral neuro neuropathy and it could end up in me having to chop your feet off. Rather than seeing a guy that had fixed it himself, I wonder if he would then go and tell his next patient that he knew somebody that had. But again, as you pointed out, if, if they go and do this, they could be deregistered. It's horrific. Yeah, this is the bureaucratization of medicine and it's also the guidelines and... I mean, I actually suspect 
that someone has tampered with the training because I've had experiences with young GPs that just leave me shaking my head. It's like um, I had a patient, uh, you know, 50-something-year-old female who was put on a low-carb diet and everything improved except her LDL cholesterol, and the GP said she needs to go on a statin. And I said, well, she's got a calcium score of zero. There is definitely no 10-year benefit of the statin. And the GP literally said to me, my computer says she should go on a statin, so she's <laughs> going on a statin. Wow. And I said, I'll send you the article. It's like, I'm not interested. Until my guideline program tells me she doesn't need a statin, she's going on a statin. So that is uh, how um, constrained by guidelines people have become and – so it does make you sort of understand what happened in COVID. It's um, people, I don't think they have the confidence to read things themselves and make their own mind up. They've been trained to follow guidelines and you don't make any decisions yourself. And that is quite antithetical to the training I received. Obviously, it was a fair while ago, but, you know, we were, as a student, we would be quizzed, it's like, here's this patient in front of you, how should we treat them? And it's like, you didn't know how to treat them, but it was no, based on your physiology, biochemistry, pharmacology, what might help? So that was the sort of questions that we got. And, and that would be considered bullying now. Uh, I got asked a hard question. Yeah. That's bullying. So um, it's, I think... You know, there's a generation of doctors who have been taught that they cannot question guidelines. And if you look at the guidelines, the people that write the guidelines have huge conflicts of interest. So, so yeah. you know, I've been running low-carb diabetes reversal sort of, you know, education sessions out of the day surgery, you know, for five or six years trying to introduce the local GPs to the concept. Yep. And it's, I mean, you always worry that you risk backlash because yep. you're suggesting something. But, you know, the evidence is there. So, um, so really, APRA, if you are accused of something, you should be entitled to a scientific debate. Yeah. That's Andrew, the bottom line. Andrew, mate, we're running out of time. Uh, first of all, I'd just like to say, Thank you for being the doctor that you are. I'm living proof of the things that you advocate for. I'm living it. I've been living it for a yep. decade and because of people exactly like you. Unfortunately, the mandates got rid of the critical thinking doctors and we were left with a bunch who had a very good, almost photographic recall for the medical text and who can't think outside the box. And that was one of the biggest losses that we had. Thank thankfully, people like you still have your licenses and hopefully some of the ones who, who lost them will be back practicing again soon. I would pray that is the case. But I do have to go. I've got uh, my next guest to get to. But Dr. Andrew McIntyre, I, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on the program today and hopefully we can have another chat soon. Okay. Thanks very much. See you yeah. later. He's exactly the type of doctor we need and that you need. And uh, certainly we'll be talking to him again. Ross Cameron coming up after the break right here at TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. Last week while campaigning in Iowa, Joe Biden was the topic of conversation for Donald Trump. And he wanted to make clear that everyone knew that Biden couldn't handle things cognitively. He can't put two sentences together. He's running. Can't find his way off the stage. 
See all the stairs around here? How the hell do you not? Where is the stair? He says, where is the stair? And he walks off the stage and he's like. And Trump wanted to make sure that everyone knew that he had been found most competent. I took a physical and I passed with flying colors and I took a cognitive exam. I said, doctor, give me anything you want. I want to take it. I think you actually, if you're running for president, I think you should be forced to take it. They say it's not constitutional. So instead of, uh, you know, look, we want, we love our constitution, but Look what we have in office. This guy cannot pass a cognitive exam. True words have never been spoken. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT Radio. While serving in Afghanistan, I was hit by sniper fire. The fighting was so intense, the medevac chopper was barely able to land. In the hospital, I was given a 5% chance to live. It's a good thing math wasn't my best subject. Today, I visit classrooms and share my story. I talk to kids about dealing with life's struggles. I tell them, with a little help and a lot of work, that you can overcome any challenge. DAV helps veterans like Adam get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. I know that some struggles are big and some are small, but they're all struggles, and you have to learn to get through them. With support from DAV, more veterans like me can live their best life and as a new father, I have one more reason to keep on keeping on. My victory is being there for the next generation. Adam Alexander, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. The conversation continues Continue. with Dean Mackin on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Well, my next guest is a co-commentator, one of our commentators here at TNT Radio. You can catch him Sunday, 7 till 9, Brisbane time. And a little bit later than that, if you live here in New South Wales, as do Ross and I. And, of course, he is somebody who is not just fair and balanced. He's uh, a private equity consultant, a former lawyer, uh, an investment banker, uh, also uh, a member of federal parliament, as many of you would know. And, of course, those of you who listen to him love his program. It is phenomenal. And he is, uh, firstly, I'd like to thank you, Ross for coming on the program and giving us your time today. Well, Dean, uh, with that beautiful introduction, uh, it can only go downhill from here, mate. I'm sorry. (laughs) Expectations are high, mate, but you always seem to meet them, as I do hope. Speaking about lawyers, I hope Donald Trump's got some terrific ones. I know he can afford the best, and they're going after him. I just can't believe that they've used, you know, the 14th... uh, against him. I just cannot believe they've done that. I don't, is, is it going to fly? Are they going to get a result? Well, um, I suppose there's two dimensions uh, to the question, uh, you know, uh, maybe three, but the two obvious ones are the, the legal and the political. Um, the legal question uh, is, I think um, uh, there is no question that an American state has a power of what Jefferson described as immunity, like the Australian Constitution. The federal government is a government of enumerated specific powers. So if it's not in the federal constitution, they don't have the power and all the other powers reside with the states 
And one of those powers made uh, sort of implicit by the constitutional draftsman, um, but explicit in the Tenth Amendment is what's called the power of annulment, which means that if a state forms the view that any measure from the national government, including by the Supreme Court, which is in contravention of the national government's constitution, uh, they have the power to annul and to ignore. And the power to uh, enrol candidates for elections in any state is the exclusive power of the state. It's one of the reasons why uh, there is no national, there's no American Electoral Commission as we have an Australian Electoral Commission and state-based Electoral Commission. So it's one of the reasons why US elections are so rotable is the fact that every state can write its own eligibility criteria. And so if the state of Colorado forms the view that Donald Trump should be excluded from the ballot in the state of Colorado, uh, since they are the ones who print the ballot uh, and they retain a constitutional power to annul, even though it appears to me likely that the Supreme Court will review the decision, will decide it is unconstitutional, it will still technically be within the power of the state of Colorado to exclude Trump from the ballot. Well, wow. is it fair to say that this is a test case for other states? Do you think it's likely that uh, should they get a result either way mm. that you've described, that they may try this again in other states? Well, I think I would say uh, to you, Dean, I'm inclined to say a yes and no, because that comes to the second question, which is what is the political result? And what we have found so far is that every attempt uh, by the Lilliputians to hamstring uh, Gulliver has increased Gulliver's polling uh, and support from the American people. And so every time uh, these, um, you know, every time the progressive left, deep state, Biden, corrupt, Zelensky, cash racket, climate change loving, you know, transgender lobby uh, tries to destroy Trump legally, the broad bulk of the American people say, well, this is this is not cricket. You know, this is not fair. This is not the basis upon which we want candidates in a democracy to be uh, selected and excluded. And because there is this intuitive sense that it is an oppressive, bullying misuse of incumbent power, it's actually strengthening Trump uh, in every poll. And so you could wind up in a situation, absolute, you know, worst case scenario, where, for example, he's convicted of some uh, alleged crime in, you know, um, in Georgia, uh, winds up winning uh, the uh, presidential uh, election with a thumping majority <laughs> and yeah. leading the free world from a jail cell. That would be very interesting to watch. And of course, he can't pardon himself, can he? He can pardon pretty much anyone else over there, but he cannot pardon himself. Yeah, there are some uh, some convictions um, which he can't. I, I, I'm not sure that's the case. That I think the law, the correct position is that 
there are some state-based crimes for which he cannot pardon himself. I think he can pardon himself from any alleged federal crime, uh, but if they find a state-based crime, which is obviously what they're looking for, uh, it becomes legally more complex. And there's a sense in which, Dean, I think what this shows is the fact that we're even having to have these conversations tells you that the United States is now misnamed. Okay, oh, yes. it, 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 oh, is yes. no, it is no longer one nation. It is a joint that has split, that has fragmented, that is splintering before our eyes. And, you know, we, we say, you know, we need to send international observers to elections in, you know, African uh, or the Philippines or indeed uh, Crimea, which we did, where 96.7% of the population voted to return to Russia. Uh, we need to send international observers into American elections oh, yeah. be because they're no longer um, trustworthy, even according to American citizens. Most, uh, you know, something like 67% of Republican voters don't trust their own electoral college. So, um, no, the joint is in free fall, I believe, and Trump's uh, predicament is really the deep state saying, well, we don't care what the democracy says, we're not having Trump. Uh, and once you get to that stage where, you know, we had it in the discovery that Obama had authorised spying on his political opponent, his chief of staff collecting all the information, uh, you know, launching under Hillary Clinton fake, um, you know, uh, allegations of Russian, the whole Russiagate conspiracy, all of that is the behaviour of some sort of tin pot, Soweto, backwater of uh, authoritarian control. It's not the behaviour of democracy. In my opinion, it's not the behaviour of, of a country Australia wishes to be in an intimate strategic relationship with because the deep state, the military-industrial complex, the intelligence agencies have simply they've sheared off the democratic project. They're now running on a kind of autopilot like the tank, almost the tank commander who's uh, been blown up inside the tank and has fallen on the controls. Yeah. And the machine is just mindlessly rolling forward with no connection to uh, the democracy in, in any way. I, I, I love I love that analogy. Mate, we, we're running out of time. I've got a quick question for you. If Donald Trump is successful, if he is the next president of the United States, do you suspect or expect that he will do to them what they're currently doing to him? And some people would ask the question, why didn't he do that when he had the chance? Yeah, well, I think, you know, uh, we, we touched earlier on uh, my recent return from Buenos Aires, uh, where they, the, the smart people of Argentina have, with a 55.95% majority, elected a radical libertarian anarcho-capitalist. And one of the lessons that the thinkers around him are taking from Trump's administration is not that he was too aggressive, but that he was too passive, uh, indeed, arguably too forgiving um, and that if you are to succeed as the green shoot the rebuild of democratic muscle in a fast um, you know disintegrating once great nation you've actually got to go in early and hard and 
Once uh, Trump got rolled by the deep state on Russia and indeed on climate change. Hey, Ross, and- be- Ross, before you go, as you would know, we've got the news coming up in about in about five seconds, mate. Uh, can we do that? Do, finish this next week or something? I'm yours, mate. You say the word, I'll click heels and attend. We'll be back after this. Ross Cameron, thank you.